Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail, sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, today we're kicking off another episode of Rethink Retail with my guest, John Horton. John is the Vice President of Operations at Draper James. John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and professional background? For example, I noticed you've worked with notable brand Gap as Director of Global Supply Chain Strategy, and that was just a couple years before joining Draper James. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I love talking retail, so I'm very excited to be chatting with you. I joined Draper James over a year ago. Prior to that, my experience has been a mix of industry roles and consulting roles. Started my career with Accenture and their management consulting practice. Worked on a few projects across a couple different industries before eventually finding my way into their retail practice. Did that for almost a decade before I wanted to experience life on the other side. My client at the time was an Inc. And they offered me a position in their corporate strategy department, helping to lead their largest strategic initiatives. From there, I joined Gap, where I was leading uh, strategy and implementation for their responsive supply chain. Got lured back into consulting from Gap to open up the U.S. practice for a Asian-based consultancy that grew out of one of the world's largest garment manufacturers. Wow. Highlight of that job was definitely spending 12 months in Hong Kong. And uh, about a year ago, this amazing opportunity popped up with Draper James to lead operations and was really just intrigued by the idea of joining a company with you know, such a strong brand, yet really early in its growth journey. Definitely. And I really like the synopsis you just gave us. Was it easy, an easy transition? Was your experience in Hong Kong and with the apparel suppliers part of the transition that you made to Draper James? Has that helped you in your role now? Absolutely. I think getting to see things kind of on multiple sides of the table has really been helpful for me in my career. So actually working for one of the largest garment manufacturers definitely has given me some insight into how they operate, which is you know very valuable in my current role. Also, just getting to spend time actually at the factories, going you know up into China from Hong Kong and spending a week actually absorbing how they operate. One of my favorite things I did during that time was I actually got to sew my own dress shirt. Oh, wow. Uh, it took three days for me to do it. They do it in, you know, uh, about 15 minutes. Wow. Uh, but getting to see kind of sewing each stitch and understanding the quality process that's involved and, you know, making sure that it's really a garment that they're proud of, that really shows you kind of hands-on experience of, you know, what that process is like. Absolutely. And you said it took only 15 minutes for them to sew a dress shirt, but it took you three days. So was the process... Yeah, they had some strict uh, quality assurance programs in place, and they wanted oh. to make sure that my shirt met the standard. So I can tell you that there were many times that I would complete a stitch, and uh, it would get undone for me to do again until it uh, was perfect. Oh my gosh, I've been there trying to repair some of my own clothes, and I'm like, I can't do this, I have to go to the tailor. <laughs> So I can kind of uh, imagine what that experience was like. And it's really cool that you got the hands-on 
opportunities in Hong Kong at the factory. That's really interesting stuff. And do you still wear the shirt today? No, it's we didn't get to pick our fabric. So it's a, it's a yellow shirt. It's not exactly my taste, but it lives in my closet as a, a relic of uh, the time <laughs> I spent here. Oh, that's funny. That's great. Well, maybe one day you can use it for something. Well, moving on to Draper James, I know this is a really interesting brand, has a lot of buzz around it, mostly because I think it was founded by Reese Witherspoon in 2015 and everyone loves her. So since then, you guys have seen such considerable growth, really exciting. From your perspective, how does Draper James differentiate itself from other brands in the pretty saturated apparel industry? Yes, the company definitely has had a lot of success in its early years, which has been great. Reese's vision for the brand really seems to resonate with customers, and I also think it fills a void in the market. Uh, we have an amazing design team here. They're able to capture the spirit of you know, an authentic Southern lifestyle mm-hmm. and translate that into a way that really appeals to the masses. So we like to think that you know, our apparel, accessories, and home decor products, that they represent kind of a nice intersection between excellent quality but still affordable value. Another thing is that unlike you know, many of the direct-to-consumer startups that have emerged over the last decade or so, we've also been kind of omni-channel from the start. So we opened up our first brick-and-mortar store in Nashville, actually the same year that we launched e-commerce. So okay. that's really been an important foundation of the brand from the outset. I've heard that that is a benefit because a lot of DTC brands, they eventually do open the brick and mortars and they don't have the teams in place to deliver in that kind of environment. They know e-commerce so well, but then the other format is tricky to start in. So approaching both at the same time makes a lot of good business sense. And I didn't know that. So that's nice to know. Speaking of your stores, I saw on your LinkedIn, the photos you posted of the South Lake, Texas store when that was what, a couple of weeks ago, you opened that store? Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago. We had our grand opening housewarming party last week, which was a big success. Excellent. You got a lot of good feedback. Yeah, the customers are super excited. So, it, you know, it's great uh, to see all that hard work kind of come to life and the customers get to shop and, you know, experience the brand, those that haven't gotten to get that kind of in-person experience yet. So you have three other shops. I wrote down Atlanta, Nashville, and Lexington, Kentucky. And usually we see the New Yorks, the Los Angeles, the big cities. So it seems on brand for Draper James um, being all about Southern charm. And But is there a reason you guys didn't choose those large cities? And how did you kind of determine where you were first going to build the stores? Yeah, I mean, I guess going back to the start of the brand in 2015, when we opened our first store in Nashville, that one really made sense as it's Reese's hometown. So we definitely wanted a presence there. She popped into the store last week, which is always, you know, a big thrill for customers. So that, you know, definitely made sense for kind of our initial build out uh, for our flagship location. From there, you know, we, like you mentioned, we kind of focused on uh, building out in strong Southern markets. I can speak, I guess, most directly to the most recent opening in South Lake that you just mentioned. And with that specifically, we analyzed our e-commerce sales data and we found that, you know, the zip code that encompassed the South Lake Town Center area was one of the top in the nation for us uh, on both in absolute value and a population adjusted basis. So, you know, we're always trying to bring the brand to locations where we already have a great concentration of fans. You know, you mentioned some of the bigger cities, which are definitely on our roadmap. 
areas like New York, Chicago also are places that we have extremely strong e-commerce sales. So we're definitely looking to expand as we can into those markets as well. Within the last couple of days, we launched a small pop-up in uh, Herald Square Macy's in New York. So, you know, a good way to test kind of the New York market here, even if it's in kind of a, a smaller fashion than we're used to doing. Certainly. And is this pop-up, was this like a 24 to 48 hours pop-up or is this going to be a semi-permanent location? We're there for the month. So we're participating in a program called Market at Macy's. So we're alongside 11 other mainly direct-to-consumer brands. So just for the month, but kind of an exciting way for us to to test the market and also get some great brand exposure to all the foot traffic that's going through that Macy's. For sure. And How do you decide, obviously, the inventory is, I'm assuming, a bit lower in the smaller format pop-up. So how do you choose what supply gets sent to the New York location? Yeah, for Macy's specifically, I think it was an interesting question as, you know, we have a lot of product across a, a wide range of areas that we really would love to share with the consumer. One area we definitely wanted to think about is, you know, who are those shoppers in Macy's? Uh, So definitely kind of from a price point perspective, we wanted to make sure that we were in line with the expectations of that target customer. We also wanted to give the customers a chance to touch and feel some of our products that maybe they haven't gotten to experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, We made a big push into leather handbags within the last year. And we're finding that, you know, when customers get a chance to see them in person, to touch them, try them, that the conversion is amazing. So we definitely wanted to have, you know, part of our assortment there around those leather bags. And then kind of lastly, uh, we do have some great gifting items that make for, you know, easier purchases for someone that just want to participate in the brand. So definitely have a strong uh, gifting assortment there as well. And you mentioned gifting and we're, you know, gosh, already approaching the holiday season. Where's the year gone, you know? Yeah. But that's interesting. You mentioned that about your leather products specifically because there is something different about leather, you know, just holding it and smelling it really that maybe entices customers to go ahead and make that purchase in store versus kind of mulling it over when it's online and they're just looking at it from photos. Absolutely. So I noticed you wrote an article last year on LinkedIn and in the article, you noted that overstocks and out of stocks cost retailers $1.1 trillion globally. And that really stuck out to me. It's not billion, it's trillion. That's a lot of money left on the table. And you said that today more than ever, it's really hard for retailers to maintain healthy inventory levels and not incur these costs. So what are some of the reasons for that? Yeah, absolutely. Discipline inventory management is so important. And as you mentioned, I think it's getting harder each year. Customers just have access to more information, more data, and with that, more substitute products. One of the things that uh, we're seeing in response is that retailers are adding more and more collections into their year. So they're trying to consistently churn out more new styles kind of in the sense of fast fashion to make sure that there's constantly newness in the store and trying to constantly predict, you know, forecast for those new items is significantly harder than when you have a portfolio of basic products, like maybe the Gap did in the 80s and 90s with khakis and jeans. Exactly. And you mentioned, it's interesting because you said the retailers, they're trying to keep up, right? So they're rolling out a ton of new inventory, more products. We see that with fast fashion. But then we see just recently Forever 21 filing for bankruptcy. So what do you think, is the market saturated or what's the issue that they're running into? I don't know if the market necessarily is saturated, but uh, I think there's always going to be a place for, you know, excellent product. 
some of these retailers we are seeing are experiencing you know, extremely unhealthy inventory levels. I know H&M made an announcement about a year ago about how overstocked they were within mm-hmm. some of their products. So, you know, I think some of these more, you know, bullish buys that companies are making are turning out to be getting them into a bad place, which leads kind of to a consistent spiral of over inventory, which leads to markdowns, which leads to kind of trained customer behavior around waiting out for kind of those optimal price ranges, which means that, you know, when you put new products into the stores, uh, customers aren't going to make those purchases just knowing that they can wait and eventually find that product on a much deeper discount. Naturally, right. So you mentioned they're really bullish on their buys and they're encountering unhealthy inventory levels. And as you said, encouraging some consumer behaviors that aren't great for when they do have those higher price items that come in. So what are some ways from your experience that retailers manage a healthy inventory level? Are there does it come down to who's managing it? Does it come down to the tools that are available? What are the factors at play? Yeah, I think it's a lot of different factors, and you definitely just hit on a few of them. There's certainly tools that retailers are using to help maintain healthy inventory. There's sophisticated software that can apply advanced statistical models for forecasting and safety stock calculations. But at the end of the day, I think it's you know a much broader exercise that you know needs to be a cross-functional effort to help address the issue. One of the simplest ways that I like to address the challenge is really by focusing on product lead times. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, you know, if you're forecasting customer demand six to 12 months in advance of when that product's going to launch, it's really hard to meet customer expectations. So shifting this process a little bit closer to market gives you as a retailer much more time to better understand what that customer demand is going to be. Exactly, but does that strain your operations? It does add more to your internal operations. There's additional decision-making that you have to make, and there's less time to do that. But I think it's just the way that retail is evolving. You're not going to make one decision and then forget about that and then, you know, hope six months later that you made the right one. You need to create a more (laughs) responsive flexible organization where you can adapt to those customer changing demands. I can give you know an example of how we're doing that at Draper James, which is really around fabric platforming. This is a tool that we use to reduce our lead times, but it also helps to keep our inventory in check. So what we do is we keep a core set of strategic fabrics on hand at our factories. And you know what happens if we unexpectedly exceed our predicted demand for a specific style, we can quickly replenish that back into stock because the fabric is there and ready to go. The side benefit of this is that we can be a little bit more cautious with our initial buys and avoid some of those overstock issues. And if we do run into a situation where a specific style is not selling as well as we expected, well, we can use that fabric and cut it into a different silhouette within that same fabric. So, you know, this is just one tool that we're doing to kind of avoid those overstocks and kind of try to avoid that heavy markdown cadence that, you know, a lot of retailers are in. That's interesting. Fabric platforming is what you called it, yeah? Yes. Fabric platforming. And how do you choose the strategic fabrics? Is it based on the items that sell well in store historically or? Yeah, so it's a a cross-functional effort with our merchandising, design, uh, and production teams. At the end of the day, what we want is we want a single fabric that our customers love, but that can be used across multiple different styles. So we do look kind of into our past to figure out what are those core fabrics that have been successful. 
And then, you know, our design team works to find multiple ways that we can use that fabric to bring it to the customers. Ah, that makes sense. So kind of multi-purpose fabrics. Exactly. Excellent. And what are some best practices when you're sourcing suppliers or just in your role that you've had to apply with the increasing demands of customers and just how fast-paced retail is right now? Yeah, our goal at Draper is really to build long-term collaborative partnerships with a handful of suppliers. So these partners for us, they form a close-knit network of vendors that you know, we hope can grow and prosper alongside us. When looking at new suppliers, there's definitely a range of quantitative and qualitative factors that we assess. I mean, first off, suppliers that don't meet our compliance and sustainability standards, those are just a non-starter. But from there, we like to analyze samples that those suppliers will make for us, and we look at those for cost, capability, and, of course, the quality of the workmanship. We also want to get a better understanding of the factory's capacity, any uh, minimum order constraints, as well as how important we are to their business. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you know, I like to assess their communication ability. I want to know that they're easy to work with and you know, someone that we can envision ourselves working with for you know, many years. Certainly. So you actually probably physically go and meet them in person and tour the facilities, it sounds like. Yeah, we do that. And, you know, as well, we're seeing a lot of suppliers now that have U.S.-based offices, which is great. So there's point of contacts here that, you know, we can work with in our time zone. Mm-hmm. You can even come by our office to hand deliver samples or to, you know, work through issues with us face-to-face. So that definitely saves time and, you know, makes that relationship even better when you have that personal one-on-one connection. Yes. So I came across something and I saw that you guys were one of the first at Draper James to launch cardboard free returns. And we see that all the time. We're getting Amazon packages. They come in one day, but you get four boxes. And it's like, wow, that could have been in one box. What a waste. So can you tell me a little (laughs) bit about the inspiration to start this program and how customers can get involved? Yeah, it's a part-time job breaking down all those boxes and getting them ready for recycling. So we definitely wanted to listen to our customers on this. And we learned in general that, you know, returns were a frustration and a pain point for them. So we made the decision to outsource our returns process. We're working with a company called Happy Returns. So far, the process has really been a win-win for both Draper and our customers. Returns are fast and easy for them. They can put them in the mail. They can drop them at one of our stores or they can drop them at one of over 400 happy return locations. And those sit in companies like Paper Source. You can just walk in there, no box, no paperwork, and drop your return off and your refund is instantly credited to you. So it's really you know, wow. reducing a lot of the friction in the process. So when Happy Returns came to us and they wanted to talk about cardboard-free returns, it's definitely something that we were you know, super excited about. The way that works is for those products that are dropped off at the happy return return bars, those are aggregated and sent in reusable packaging back to our warehouse. And then that reusable packaging is then eventually sent back to the return bars. So it's kind of a more sustainable method to help reduce our overall carbon footprint. Amazing. And it sounds like from start to finish, it's a low carbon footprint because the reusable packaging and aggregating the products instead of sending them one by one. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And um, we found that our customers really like to do those returns in person, which is great. And, you know, that's definitely an added benefit for everyone to have one less package going individually by the mail back to our warehouse. Exactly. 
Love that. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. So I wanted to close out with just one last question and it's about the future. So John, what, when you're looking to 2020, what are you most excited about, whether it's the retail industry or just with Draper James specifically? Yeah, as we look to 2020, there's definitely a lot to be excited about, both for Draper James and for kind of retail as a whole. I think we've seen that there's a lot of opportunity for companies that are still in their early growth stages to continue that growth and to continue to take market share from some of the larger players. For us specifically, I'm excited about the continued opportunity for brick and mortar expansion love getting the chance to build out our stores and to give customers in those areas a chance to really experience the brand as a whole in person. If you haven't been to one of our stores, you definitely need to check one out. They're fantastic, designed to feel like you were walking into Reese's living room. So they're warm, they're inviting, and of course, full of beautiful product. So excited to you know find more ways for us to engage in person and of course, and online with a new set of customers. I love that. And I definitely am looking forward to visiting a store in person. The pictures you've posted and the other ones I've seen look beautiful. Great. I loved having you on the show. Thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries.com.